Welcome DTB community. I am Bob Domena and here with me as always is the very enterprising Elliot Shivery. Enterprising. Cool. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. That's like businessy. So the definition that I have is having or showing initiative and resourcefulness. Oh, cool. Even more broad than I thought. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Well, since we're on initiative, we took the initiative to update our website. Granted, this is probably six months old now. But we have some travel gear that Bob and I have handpicked that we think you would enjoy because we enjoy. We also have a book a trip tab, which includes people from uh, that are an employee, a manager, or an owner from different tour companies around the world. And they have all been guests on this show. And if you have not listened to their episode, you can listen to their episode and decide if you want to book with them. One of those in particular is GJ Travel. And we discussed Iceland and Greenland. And if you book with us with the code TTB, you actually get a 5% discount. And some of those proceeds go back to us to help produce the show. And also check out some of our free itineraries that Bob or myself or both of us have put together for some of our past trips. All right. Now, the most important part of the intro is the trivia question. So this is for Ash. This is Ash's second part. The question was, how many people dropped out of Ash's team before his China expedition was over? If you answered 10 out of 16, so he only ended up with six people by the end of the trip, which is he lost almost two-thirds of his team. And that, that, in, that was the beginning. That was the first thing they had to do was get to the head of the river. That was the beginning. That was right in the beginning. Wow. I thought the yeah. whole trip was hiking to the source water. No, no. The whole trip? No, man. He had to hike to the source of the river and then walk the entire thing. Oh, I thought he started at the Delta and walked up. No. Mm-mm. No, I, mm-hmm. I misheard that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, should, I guess I got to go back and listen to the episode. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Regardless, it's quite impressive and a little unfortunate that they lost that many team members. Anyway, if you got it right, we'll be reaching out to you. So our next guest is a Bermudan-born U.S. Army vet who has turned his travel travel into a full-time job. So this conversation was awesome. It, it started with solo travel and why that's so important to do. We got into travel stories, and he broke down some of the reasons that you should definitely consider travel insurance. Essentially, you never know when an accident is going to happen, and it was, it was pretty eye-opening. And and then we kind of got into travel content and the, and the types of content he's creating with travel books and blogs. And he's really just trying to nail down to, you know, different ways people can, can travel. And, and he breaks it down in a way that, uh, as he, as he puts it for his book, um, eliminates the fluff of, off of most travel books. So without further introduction, please give it up for our next guest, Joshua Biggers. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Joshua, welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint podcast. Thanks for having me. So you, we were just talking about this before the show. You are technically British and American. You were born in Bermuda and then moved into the States later in life. Your dad is... American, your mom is British, so you technically have that dual citizenship, which is very nice. And then you spent 10 years in the Army, and now you have 
this website called Tired of Working and your alter ego, which is Bigger's World and your YouTube channel. And so we're just really curious to talk to you about your transition from the army and a traditional American lifestyle to this nomadic lifestyle and being an expatriate. Yeah, definitely. You know, joining a, when I got out of high school, it was kind of all about, let's go be the biggest bad, you know, bad behind you can be, be the soldier, all that stuff. So right out of high school, I joined the army. And then uh, after, you know, doing tours in, in Afghanistan and coming back and worked up at the Pentagon for uh, like uh, about a year in 2012, it was kind of like, maybe I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Maybe this is it. Then I uh, got home from deployment from uh, on, on the uh, Operation Noble Eagle, which was the one up at the Pentagon. And an 83-year-old man ran me over in a car and put me in a coma for three weeks. And uh, yeah, so and basically that's how the uh, the slow ending of Josh's career in the military occurred. But uh, yeah, so it's kind of an interesting <laughs> story to say the least. But like, um, so basically I was, uh, you know, I was put in the coma, eventually got better, but being hurt and, uh, you know, I have metal plates in my arms, face and legs now. Being hurt, um, the military was like, uh, you know, maybe it's time for you to be retired. So after 10 years, rather than doing 20 years, they said uh, because of the tours and all that stuff and being hurt that I could uh, be medically retired from the army. So my father's also a retired uh, combat veteran. So he was like, you know, you should probably just go with it instead of fighting it because, you know, then you can retire from this job and you can move on to something else in your life. So that's kind of, yeah, that's what I did. And, uh, you know, once you've worked 10 years, once you've worked for the government for so long, you kind of become, you know, you almost be kind of, you become a robot a little bit, just, you know, very, the, the life is so, you know, you wake up, you do your stuff, you, you get done, you always know you have a paycheck and stuff like that. And I kind of wanted to switch it all up and not have, it kind of, I don't know if it sounds weird, but I kind of not, I didn't want to have stability anymore. I don't know if that, that sounds weird, but it's like. <laughs> I don't think so, man. I think it's pretty common for people want to break that routine. It gets monotonous. Yeah. It kind of drives you crazy at some points. I yeah. get it. Yeah, absolutely. And it was just kind of like, you know, when you've been doing it for 10 years and your life takes a really big hit so crazily that, uh, well, that was like, a literal hit. Yeah, no. And the funny thing is I, I laugh about it all the time. So it happened in the Denny's or it happened in the road, but it drove like he, I got stuck under his car all the way into the Denny's parking lot. So I always say when I went uh, that morning, I was going to get my grand slam at Denny's instead I was grand slam. He just did not see you. And uh, you apparently. I mean, I don't know if you guys, cause you guys aren't from Florida, from Florida. Uh, there's a lot of elderly here and you know, an 83 year old man, I don't know if should be driving at that time. However, it all kind of, you know, as bad as it was and all that stuff, I don't hold any hard feelings, you know, and it was, it was kind of a hard hit because in Florida, this is a no-fault state as well. So you don't get anything. Like for some, like, I, I, I didn't get like, you know, compensation really or anything like that because the military obviously covered the bills and, you, you know, you get a little compensation. But it's not like if it would have happened in, you know, 40 of, you know, the other 50 states, I probably would have been, you know, I could have been a millionaire technically coming off of service. Now, I've been, now I have certain uh, disabilities that I'll have for the rest of my life. However, in Florida, 
we have some interesting rules when it comes to that, and we have them for a reason, obviously, uh, for for certain for certain drivers. But <laughs> and that's why all the old people move there so they can yeah. hit people without repercussion. It, that is yeah. the retirement state yeah. for sure. As bad as you say, as you know, it's funny when you say it like that, but it's uh, in a weird in a weird way, it's true. And it's you know, I don't hold hard feelings. You know, stuff happened, and it turned me on this journey to uh, traveling. You know, I went through a year period where I was you know lost and stuff like that and uh weird enough the traveling journey started i was on a cruise ship with a good friend of mine and uh he's like come on a cruise let's, let's, let's go and have some fun on this cruise ship i meet this girl who uh is about to start flight attendant school well we kind of hit it off and lo and behold you know a few months later i become her plus one for united airlines and for the next uh eight months uh, it was me and her just traveling and that's how it started. I, I went to, that's how I got to Japan the first time. And as I continued to travel, I just realized slowly, you know, regardless of me and her's relationship, I'm going to continue traveling. And that's kind of how it all started was, uh, interesting. yeah. Well, that's a, it's an unfortunate, uh, that you had to be hit by a car and put into <laughs> a coma to realize that you wanted to travel, but it is nice that you were able to meet the cliff flight attendants. Absolutely. Are you guys still together? No, 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 no. We were, uh, we were just, we, we were better off being friends for the most part, but, uh, you know, as I don't want to say cliche or as like, but you know, sometimes I think a lot of people, especially in the United States and, uh, you know, I don't know how you, how would you say it? Like, um, say metaphorically, it's like, they do need to get hit by a car to wake up right, and take right. that chance. Right. And I mean, that's one thing that I defend more than anything when I'm traveling is everywhere I travel, I stay in hostels. I'm a huge hostel guy. I love hostels. I, I, I would choose a hostel over a hotel any day. And I have, even when sponsors have tried to, you know, pay for hotels, I say, nah, let me just take some of the money. I'll go get an $8 hostel and I'll have a better time. I assure you. So, uh, but that's like one of the things that a lot of people always try to go against on is like, oh, Americans don't travel. They don't do this. Well, people, what the outside world doesn't understand is America is one of the only countries that's set up the way it is where Americans only get two weeks vacation. You know, they get two weeks vacation and that's it. And it's hard for them to travel. It's not like you can go and start traveling the world in two weeks. You can't. So... Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, that's something that we've had brought up multiple times in this episode where <clears throat> people who operate, whether it's hostels or organizations, tour groups in different countries, they'll talk to us and they'll say, we don't get that many Americans because our tour is sort of an off the beaten path tour. And Americans tend to gravitate towards tours that maybe cover it all in as short amount of time as possible. And that's kind of the American travel culture is let me go to this country, see what I can as quickly as I, I can in two weeks and then fly back home. You rarely find people going to an off the beaten path country and just taking it easy, uh, you know, just going with the flow, waking up and seeing where the day takes them. It tends to be either I'm going to be very adventurous in two weeks or I'm going to go to Mexico or the Bahamas or Bermuda and, and sit there for two weeks and kind of relax and get some R&R in. Yeah. Well, I think the most frustrating part of it is that that vacation is your full two weeks out of 52 weeks. So that doesn't include time that you want to take doing stuff around your house or just chilling or just seeing family. So it's just, I don't know. We talk about this all the time on the podcast and I just am so frustrated with how little vacation time we 
get as Americans. As great of a country as we claim to be, we have poor family leave and we get no vacation. Right. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's, we definitely have that hustler's mentality where it's work, work, work. And if you don't work, if you don't want to work, you're kind of, fr- it's like, if you, if you choose to take more time off or choose to spend more time with your family, it's, it's frowned upon. You're kind yeah, of you're like, judged. Oh, come on, dude. Like you don't want to work, you know, wake up. What are you lazy? And, and sometimes I, I don't, I don't really get that fully as someone who wants to see the entire world and as much as I can uh, in the short life that I have, I, I, push back on that and say, sorry, yeah, you're right. Like me, you can call it whatever you want, but I don't want to work, you know, 15 hours a day, every single day of the week. And then I don't even want to work 40 hours a week. No, no, (laughs) neither do I, man. Yeah. It's, but then, but then you also have to weigh the pros of living in a country that has this hustlers mentality, has a strong economy, has, has, has all the benefits that we get to enjoy because when you do travel, to these countries that tend to relax more, you can kind of see the difference and weigh, you know, what's more important to you because we do, as a result of our strong working um, population, have a lot of great benefits. So, you know, it's true, and it's. But I also think that, uh, you know, when you when you say when you talk about that, it's you almost have to bring it back to society as a whole in Europe and uh, you know some in Asia as well, but mainly in Europe, it's encouraged to take your gap year right after high school. So you are encouraged. In fact, you're almost looked down upon if you don't take your gap year, where I think I can go for all three of us staying. Nobody encouraged me to travel after high school. It was no. go to college or get a job. Period. Yeah. I've had, I've in, in the company I'm with now, we've had people apply and my upper management who are all, you know, fifties and older have looked at people's resumes that have taken that leap year. And they're like, what did they do this for? Like, what is this? And they'll question it. And they almost, they, they, not almost to these, to my upper management, these people come across as being odd. Like, why would I, this, these people, they, they just wanted to take a year off. Like it, it doesn't even make sense to them. Now, thankfully, as the three of us sit here, we're, we're younger, you know, we're in our thirties and twenties, thirties. Um, I think the mentality is shifting. I think we're catching on. You know, you are. And it, I think that's kind of what's even funnier. Uh, I, and I, I fight this a lot. So while, I, while I've been traveling, I finished my, uh, my BA, then my MBA. And now I'm finishing my doctorate now. And I'm writing my dissertation as I travel for the last two years. And a lot of my father, especially, and other people, they're just, uh, especially Americans, they're like, what are you doing? Like, you should be focused on, you know, just your doctorate. And that's it. And no, I don't have to be. Like if I can write and travel at the same time, I don't need to focus on anything just because it's not normal. And because when I finish my doctorate, I may not use it in the same, you know, tip the same way that other people would use it. I'll find a way to use it. And it's just, I'm not getting a doctorate to make money and become, you know, try to make myself, you know, you know, money hungry being a doctor. I'm getting my doctorate just because I enjoy learning and because it makes me a better business person. Yeah. Yeah. The saying that youth is wasted on the young. It's funny because it, it it seems like we work our entire lives to take retirement and then stop working, but we can't enjoy a lot of the things that we want to when we're young, like going to a country, going to Southeast Asia and like biking or hiking or just taking a motorcycle around for three weeks is not something I really 
imagine myself doing in my 60s. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 I completely agree. And especially, it's not even about the physical, you know, uh, capabilities of your body at 60. It's also about like the environment and how hot it is and how muggy it is. And yeah. you know, <laughs> come on, you know, at 60, a hundred. 105 degree day outside in dry heat is going to affect a 60 year old man way different than a 29 year old man. I yes. guarantee you. Yeah. yeah. Did you sure. ever see the picture? I think it was a meme. It was like two elderly people on the gondola in Venice and they're both just passed out, mouth gaping <laughs> open. And it's like, this is why you travel when you're young. And, you know, they finally made it to, to Venice. But I think it's uh, Tim Ferriss, who's a big advocate for the new rich. Oh, where I he love talks Tim about Paris. yeah he talks about taking mini retirements throughout your life and you yep. know to to work as hard as you can and only focus on your job for your entire life thinking that you're going to get all of this time off later on in life is not the right way of thinking according to him i mean maybe it's your thing and by all means go for it but what he what he tries to explain is this idea of the new rich and the and it's the new rich is really a mentality not a, an accumulation of wealth physical wealth so the idea is to take many retirements throughout your life. And as you save for retirement, which everybody should do and plan to do, you should also set aside funds and plan for your many retirements that you can experience the world as you're young. And this way you get this broad range of experiences. You get experiences in your 20s and you get to travel and experience uh, the world in your 30s, maybe with children. And so instead of just saving it all up for the end, you spread it out evenly throughout your entire life and you have a more well-rounded experience. I personally love that philosophy and it's something that I'm trying to live by. Yeah, and I think, I think that is a new, it's a new age thing as well. And I think as I've been traveling for the last three years straight, I think that I've met a lot of Americans, especially Americans in uh, you know, their late 20s and early 30s that are starting to live that way. I don't know if as, as Americans, and I claim American and I claim, you know, British kind of depends where I'm at to see where I claim, but <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, I was in the American military, so I am American. And I think, I don't know if Americans will ever be able to be like Europeans in the aspect of taking gap years at 18 and 19. However, it does seem like they are beginning to do it at 28 and 29 because they've been in their jobs for 10 years and now they're, be, now they're having that leeway where they can actually start traveling the world. And maybe that'll be the way that Americans can start, you know, uh, broadening their horizons as they go. Yeah. Right. And that seems to be the trend. Uh, young, I guess 29 to early thirties is the new 22. Mm -hmm. And I mean, people are having kids later in life if they're having kids at all. So it's not like it's that much of a shift. Yeah, completely agree. Right. Now I do want to transition to your actual trajectory starting three years ago, um, yeah. mainly with the planning before your exit of your American life. And that is like financially, how were you set up and how did you plan to set up your, okay. yeah. Well, um, so getting out of the military, Obviously, I'd save some money because that's one good thing that you can do when you're in the military is you could save some money. And uh, so as I started, as I got out of the military, I kind of started realizing I tried the whole nine to five thing for about, uh, let's go with maybe three and a half months. And uh, three and a half months into it, I'm just like, this is not working for me. This is, nope, this isn't going to happen. I just, 
you know, the, the military, is, it, it's not a nine to five. It's more of a lifestyle. And I think any military people can understand what I say when I say that. It's not a, it's not a job. It's a lifestyle. So you become adapted to it. And it's just you. Where I came out of that and I started doing the nine to five thing. I just quickly realized like this is, yeah, this isn't working. So went on the cruise, met the girl, and then we started traveling. And then I started finding little ways that I could, you know, work at hostels. And, uh, you know, you can, uh, there's like workingabroad.com and stuff like that, websites like that, where you can just go work abroad and they'll pay for your accommodations and you could find ways to make other money as you go. So, you know, I had some savings and uh, I did that for the first year where I was just kind of traveling. And I was also traveling in Asia at the time, which is an important detail because if I was traveling anywhere else, my travels would have been cut much shorter with the money I had. We've heard that many South- times. <laughs> yeah. Southeast Asia is just much cheaper. I mean, even right now in the year 2020, you can go to uh, Hanoi, Vietnam, and you can get a room for four U.S. dollars a night. You can get a, you know, you have a bed four dollars for four. You can get an entire room for fifteen. So, Southeast Asia is by far the most expensive uh, uh, or most inexpensive area there is. And uh, so I was there for a year, and then uh, slowly started transitioning to like maybe I can make money this way. So. Uh, then I came home and I was home for a month and I met, a, I met another friend and she wanted to do a 49 state road trip. So I was like, Hey, why not? We can do the 49 state road trip. And that's right when I was about to start the Instagram. So this was about, uh, I think two years ago. Yeah, it was two years ago, May of May of two years ago. So almost two years, uh, right now. Uh, is when I started the Instagram and or when I started like uh, really thinking I can make money doing this. So uh, before uh, I started watching all those videos, like everybody does, they watch the blog videos, how to become famous in 10 minutes, how to write <laughs> uh, award-winning uh, blogs. But I noticed there was this one about having a traveling animal. And I was like, you know, I'm like a tattooed guy. You know, I, I, I'm like a unique guy. So it's like, maybe if I have a little animal, maybe it'll make me approachable when I'm doing this, uh, when I'm doing this whole Instagram thing. So, uh, <laughs> uh, I went out and I bought a, uh, a baby hedgehog. Oh yeah. Yes. So, yes. Uh, yes. so this baby hedgehog, me and my friend, we started on our journey and quickly I realized when I was posting pictures of myself you know, you get, you know, 50 likes. Then when I was posting pictures of me and a baby hedgehog and a state sign, I was getting hundreds of likes. And I was quickly like, okay, I don't know if this is right for me to use this baby hedgehog, but I'm going to. It's awesome. <laughs> so, as long as he gets some of the proceeds. Yeah. Like that, that hedgehog has, was, uh, I think we traveled all together. I think it made it to 41 different states. Wow. So I'm pretty sure that hedgehog has been more seen more of America than 90% of Americans probably. <laughs> yep, I think. <laughs> so, uh, so we started this whole journey, and it was interesting, you know, uh, driving through every state, stopping. I, I stopped and got a picture with every state sign. So, because uh, the whole goal was to, you know, write a book at the end about traveling uh, every state and whatnot. And uh, yeah, so we did that for a little over four and a half months. You know, hit every big national park, the Badlands, Yosemite, Yellowstone. Uh, 
hit all the different uh pretty much any of the, the indianapolis 500 track all the like the the cool unique things as we go um and it was a it was an interesting adventure to come be overseas for a year then come back and do that and then that's kind of when i started realizing hey i can use my instagram to reach out to these hotels and these hostels and get them to pay for my stays so that's kind of how it all uh started transitioning to where i'm like Hey, you know, if you get your accommodations paid for, you're only paying for food. So that's when you can really start, you know, saving big, uh, big, uh, large clumps of money. Yeah. Now, how do you actually do that? Do you message them directly with through your Instagram account to their Instagram account? Uh, I, I do it that way somewhat too, but I also have a template. I have an I have like a template that I've made, and a lot of times I'll just email, and then I'll include on the email my Instagram, uh, my Facebook, my YouTube, my website and stuff like that. And then, I mean, I'll be honest. I'm not, uh, if you send 20 emails out, you might get three back. Right. It's, it's, it's a numbers game, just like anything in life. It's a numbers game. And, uh, but guess what? Three out of 20. And when I can send out a hundred in less than an hour, I got some options. Right. And this, and this goes not just for the U S but for all of, uh, for, all of the world to be honest nowadays it's not as hard because my instagram gets enough attraction to where hostels reach out to me mm. so but in the beginning you have to reach out to them and you have to explain to them being having followers doesn't mean anything it really doesn't i mean i have friends that are um, i guess they'd be considered like micro influencers i have one good friend and she has like 1800 uh followers and she makes lots of money i don't get into her profile and how she does it but she makes a lot because it's like it's <laughs> we'll like in, there. <laughs> well and it's like but it's like uh if you read if you ever read the book i think it was called um 350 true followers or something like that and i after you reading it it really makes sense if you have 350 people that follow you and then those 350 people buy 200 worth of merchandise from you throughout the year which is nothing people spend 200 on shoes nowadays and if you do that, that's $70,000 a year you just made. That's more than, I bet you a lot of people that people know, without a doubt. And that's how easy it is. It's not hard to make the money, but it does take, it takes time. It takes effort. And you honestly, you got to have big cojones because <laughs> you, have to, you have to drop everything and you have to hope that it's going to work out. And there's, there's been plenty of times on this journey that I've been completely broke. 100% and stuck at a hostel where, you know, I'm don't even know. I don't even have a flight home yet, but then you find ways and you continue on your journey after that. Hmm. Well, big part of traveling like that is insurance. And we've been talking to a few people recently about travelers insurance, health insurance, and traveling inside the United States is one thing. But what kind of insurance, if any, do you usually get for yourself when you're traveling abroad and especially when you're doing it for a long period of time? Well, I, this is a funny story that you brought this up. <laughs> uh, so for the first year and a half, I never did have traveler's insurance. I was like, you know, I'm invincible, basically. You know, basically, I'm in the, I was in the even the, Even after getting hit by the car? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> for some Come reason. On, Joshua. Yeah, trust me. For some reason, I'm like, I'm invincible. So, uh, 
and and you're right. The the, the biggest difference is uh, when you're in the U.S. It's just it's just looked at a lot differently with insurance because most of all the companies have insurance and stuff like that. But when you go abroad, that type of coverage doesn't cover you anymore. So I'm abroad and I'm in Bali and uh, we're doing some cliff diving and stuff like that. And we're all up on top of this rock. It's about maybe 35, 40 feet. So 10 to 12 meters probably for anyone listening uh, in the metric system, which is the rest of the world. Um, <laughs> but us. Um, yeah. But uh, so I looked out at my guide and I'm like, it's, it's, it's deep enough, right? And he's like, yeah, you're good. Don't worry, you're good. And I'm like, okay. So I jump off. It ends up being uh, around two feet. No. Um, my entire right ankle is crushed. Um, I'm lucky because when I hit it, it just kind of compacted in. So it didn't break in half because if it had broken in half, it had been really, really bad. But this was my last day in Bali. It crushed, right? And it just exploded overnight. Well, I still have another three months paid for on this excursion already. And if I don't, and I'm about to, I fly to Australia the next day. And if I don't go, I don't get refunded. And I, and I lose all those sponsors that I've already lined up. That took me, you know, lots of money, like a good amount of time to line up. So I, uh, I somehow wiggle my way to Australia where I meet a friend that I met over in uh, Budapest the year before. And she had crutches for me and stuff like that. And I basically finish out my next two months in uh, traveling the entire Eastern coast of uh, Australia on crutches. Um, after this, I, uh, yeah, after this, it, it hurt really bad. And it just made me realize that like, hey, you gotta have insurance. So now I always coverage either uh, Alliance insurance. I use that one a lot. And then I also have a city credit card that has insurance through them. Okay. And I would say that that's one of the best things for uh, anyone in America to look for is uh, look for a credit card that has traveler's insurance already incorporated in it. And there is a lot of credit cards that do. Yeah. Okay. I, I have the Chase Sapphire. Yeah, Reserve, the Chase, yeah. And uh, that one has, it has everything other than medical coverage. Mm. So it's just traveler's insurance as far as, uh, having to cancel or delayed flights or you're the, the airline uses, loses your luggage, mm -hmm. car rental insurance. It covers pretty much everything other than medical insurance. But dude, did you, uh, what the hell did you say to the, the guy who told you to jump off a cliff into two oh, feet of water? Honestly, I was kind of in shock. I barely remember some of the rest of it. Cause after that, I'm like limping uh, yeah. back onto the kayak and I still get on the ATV to drive home because Ooh. I'm just like, you know, it was just like, yeah, trust me. It was like, I don't really remember a lot of it. And at first, you know, it didn't explode into the night. So when you look down, you're kind of got your adrenaline going and you're like, oh, I'm okay. I got this. You but think your military it, experience helped you out with that one? I think I just got lucky because uh, I stay very active and I'm in the gym a lot. And I really just got lucky that when I came down, my bones seemed to be pretty strong for the most part. And I didn't yeah. crush it because it could have easily slipped the other way and broken half. And then I would have just had that wiggly foot and that would have been a lot different. And I've seen personal stories and I got personal friends that uh, another friend of mine, she was in Costa Rica and she was at a waterfall. It was her first day getting into Costa Rica and she was playing on this rock, trying to get that awesome picture that they yep. all tried to get. She slipped. The rock was very large, slipped and crushed her entire leg, right? She didn't have traveler's insurance. She is now over $10,000 in debt. So people need, to, people need to understand if you're going to travel, 
one accident can cost you traveling for the next five years of your life. Man, whoa. So what did you end up doing for healthcare? How did you fix it? Well, I, uh, I did this thing that we call in the, in the army, I manned it. I manned up. So, <laughs> yep. So uh, nothing. Nothing at all. Just stayed on, uh, stayed on uh, crutches for the next uh, six weeks. <laughs> and uh, the thing is, though, it wasn't the right call. And that's the reason that I do traveler's insurance now, because I still have issues with that ankle. And if I would have gotten it fixed right there, which they have, they have good coverage or good medical services in Australia. If I would have had the, I could have easily just went and got it fixed. And I could have been, you know, laid up in an Australian hospital, eating some great pudding and stuff. I mean, it would have been very easy to yeah. do. And I, and I probably wouldn't have the same issues that I have. However, I don't know if you can tell my life is weird. I'm all over the place a lot of times. So it's, <laughs> I just put it to the side now, but uh, I would definitely advise anybody that's going to travel to use traveler's insurance, especially considering you can find reasonable, uh, uh, you know, reasonable insurance and don't make, don't make the excuse that, Oh no, it's an extra $125 a month for this traveler's insurance because it could end up saving you a lot of money down the line. And you can easily, the credit card thing is the best way to go. Um, and like I said, he said, Chase, I know city credit cards also do, do it. And I know American Express also has one as well to where you can get a medical coverage included up to like $10,000 or something like that. So you should just check that out before you start traveling because you don't want to be somewhere and want to try something awesome and then not do it because you're scared of getting hurt. Right. Yeah. Uh, you said Alliance is, is someone that you use often. Do you have like a ballpark number for what it would cost somebody for like a two week vacation to get traveler's insurance? Um, honestly, if you're going to do just two weeks, it usually goes by the monthly. So they'll, they'll lower it down, but it's probably, uh, you know, about $200 okay. to, uh, for, for the, for the traveler's insurance. And I mean, the biggest thing is just pay attention when you're buying your traveler's insurance from wherever you do and read the fine print because the fine print matter a big time because I know uh, I have another friend that got hurt in Africa over in Morocco and African countries were not covered under the traveler's insurance and Ooh. she didn't know that. So she gets hurt, goes to the hospital and they're like, huh, sorry. And you're like, cool. So make sure you read that uh, that fine print as well. Right. Or, I know a lot of times the traveler's insurance won't cover adventure travel. So they'll say they'll cover you. But then if you get hurt skydiving or cliff jumping or riding an ATV, there's fine print that says you're not covered under those circumstances. So you, need, you do. You do need to read the fine print. That's a, that's a good point. And remember, and remember, when you go to the hospital, they weren't there when you got hurt. I'm not saying lie because that's wrong. However, <laughs> when uh, when you're in the country and you need coverage, you weren't cliff diving. You were walking and a <laughs> raccoon jumped out at you and you slipped and fell off a cliff. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, don't walk in there and be like, oh, I was skydiving. My parachute didn't open. Well, that's not good at all. That's not a positive way. <laughs> right, right. So speaking of being all over the place, how – do you have specific travel goals like to uh, see all sovereign countries or yes. okay and yeah i will hit all 197 countries and i think i'm at 117 or 118 now okay um so as i've been traveling obviously the man on the move right now is drew binsky he's about yeah, to hit yep. his 197 and uh he's been doing it quite, quite a bit longer but I've kind of watched his ways. 
um, as, 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 he's, as he's went along. And um, yeah, I want to hit all 197 in, in uh, Antarctica. Uh, I've been applying for the last two years for Antarctica. So the good thing is about military experience. There's a lot of mil- there's some military bases in Antarctica. And I think I'll be able to get on on one of the missions eventually for, you know, a three month stint or something like that to knock Antarctica out of the way. Cause that is obviously the hardest continent. I've been to six of the seven Antarctica is the hardest. Um, if you are trying to go to Antarctica, the way to get there, the cheapest way is to go down to Chile and then go all the way down to the little city at the very southernmost point. And if you have the time, you can wait. I have a friend, she did it and she just waited down there for, it took her like over 30 days. I think it ended up taking like almost two months for her to finally get on a ship that had an extra spot and she got it for a 10th of the price. I want to say she got on the cruise for, uh, I think it was like a month long thing and she ended up paying just over a thousand dollars. Wow. So you can do it, but it's, it's hard because if not, you're paying five, 10 grand to get over there. And I know you can also do it from, uh, Tasmania as well over there, uh, you know, up Australia, you can get down there. I have heard. Go ahead, Bob. I've been seeing a lot of people. I, I don't know if it's with me throwing our, you know, we're throwing ourselves into the travel community, but there's a lot of people that are now hitting all these countries. It's actually pretty impressive. I, the, we've been in contact with Lexi Alford. She, she, mm-hmm. she hit it recently. We're getting her on, but dude, the one thing that you have that most people don't is you've went to Afghanistan already. <laughs> You're, I, I, that, you took I've been, that to, I've been to a, I've been to a couple of the middle Eastern ones that were, uh, are very difficult for people to get to now. <laughs> right. yes. They're hard to travel to with visas yeah. and everything. They're not that safe. I mean, you probably yeah. had, uh, yeah. well, the middle I don't, don't want to say safe, but you know, well, the middle East is actually one of the, uh, it's not very, when, uh, I don't, you guys can't tell right now, but like, uh, I have pretty long hair now and I have a big beard. So I look, a lot of people think I look very Arabic and Egyptian. A lot of times I get uh, told. So it's kind of like those countries aren't as hard for me. What's hard for me is the middle of Africa. It's by mm. far the hardest section to hit, in my opinion. And that's just because there is no easy way to do it. There's no bus route that goes and hits all the countries. There's no, like, you have to plan all of those out, you know, for a good amount of time to make sure. And you never know when something's going to pop off. Like, I've done, you know, Tanzania, Morocco, Egypt, or, um, done in South, uh, South Africa, Kenya, I've got a couple other ones, but it's like that middle area. Oof. I'm We're trying- talking the Congo. Yes. Um, Rwanda. Yes. Right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Central African Republic, South yep. Sudan. Right. So, so yeah. dangerous, right? I mean, so you have dangerous, you have a lack of infrastructure. You're going to yes. stick out like a sore thumb there. Everybody's going to know you're coming. You know, however, I will say that the, I get reached out by people there all the time. All the time, people offer me spots to stay when I go, when I, if I ever do make it over to their country and when I do. I have people from Rwanda. I'm not even kidding you. Perhaps weekly, I get another person from Rwanda. A lot of these countries are starting to become uh, like very interested in social media. South Africa is one of the biggest examples of this. South Africa has hit social media storm. There are so many new influencers coming out of South Africa recently. And I, I couldn't be happier. It's awesome that these people are starting to really just embrace social media, traveling, and uh, just enjoying the journey that we're all going on. And uh, Africa as a whole is really starting to open up with that. And it's, it's, it's really awesome that uh, they're allowed. 
Egypt is very similar. Uh, weekly, I get someone from Egypt that's offering me, hey, come out here. I'll take you around. You can stay at my house. I got tours. I got anything for you. Come and I'll show you an awesome night out. Like they're really, really starting to step up. And that's really, really awesome. Yeah. And I think that having someone like you, a, a white male in Africa doing one of their tours and being then being able to promote that, it shows that it's it's safer that other people are doing it and that people in America and Western Europe can do it too. Yeah. It allows these, these people in these countries to break away from the traditional jobs too. They have this outlet now to the world where they can say, hey, listen, you know, we, we have a tourism industry too. We have interesting things to see and you can come and see it. And yeah, they have this new, new way to communicate with people who really, I mean, you don't hear of a lot of people saying, I want to go to the Congo uh, or, or Rwanda. So that's an awesome avenue for them to explore. And I think they, they should be able to pull people in at least the adventurous type for, for a while. Absolutely. And I mean, it goes back into, you know, guerrilla trekking and stuff like that, Rwanda, that everybody, I mean, how many people have you said, Hey, would you like to come and do a guerrilla trekking in Rwanda would say no. I mean, you, I don't know why you would ever say no. It'd be, it'd be phenomenal. (laughs) And I mean, that's the idea I want to, uh, I've been organizing some stuff with some friends in the UK that maybe we're going to go and rent some motorcycles and just do a big, you know, down the line thing and try to hit as many uh, middle African countries as possible. I think it is important that there's certain areas that you should probably go with a partner, you know, go with the bud. I think it's smarter that way. Um, and like I've told a lot of American women, especially they ask me questions on, a, you know, can I travel alone? Can I American women? Yes, you can travel alone. There are plenty of countries. You do not need a man to travel. You can travel alone. Australian women, German women, I see them all the time. I meet them all the time. And they all travel alone. So, but there are countries you've got to be a little smarter at, you know? you got to be smart. But I feel like that's the number one excuse I hear the most from uh, a lot of American travelers is I don't want to travel alone. Trust me, once you start, you're not going to stop. Hmm. It's just one of those things. Yeah. Hmm. So do you travel alone often? almost all the time okay and it sounds like you're staying in these countries for an extended period do you ever feel like you are alone or do you find ways to connect with people where you're traveling not in the least have i ever felt alone my friend um and that's kind of the thing with the hostels that's that's one of the biggest uh biggest things that i feel like americans all americans listen to this right now Hostels are not based on the movie Hostel. <laughs> that movie is not the way hostels work. Wait, that's but not a documentary? It's not a documentary. <laughs> it's not. And, you know, that's the funny thing is a lot of people I've met, they're just like, well, what? You, you stay at hostels? And I'm like, yeah, they're phenomenal. Um, so I would tell people hostelworld.com obviously is the best hostel website to use. You get on. You can read reviews on these hostels. Guess what? If you got a bunch of reviews that say it suck, it sucks. Don't try to, <laughs> you know, but if you got a bunch of reviews that say it's phenomenal, it's probably phenomenal. You can always find people at hostels. Another great uh, avenue I've used uh, recently, more often, couch surfing. Couch surfing is not the same in other countries as it is in America. You know, I know in America, a lot of people are, are a little weary about couch surfing because they're like, oh, there's going to be an uncle and he's going to be the old creepy uncle. 
it's not like that. You know, it's, it's really not. Majority of these people on couch surfing are international people that are just want to open themselves and they want to meet people. And I've done that a lot where I've met a lot of different people abroad as well. But the bottom line is if you don't want to go the whole stranger route, go to the hostel. You can get a hostel bed for super cheap. And all hostels also have private rooms. If you have, you know, the money for it, you can always get a private room. They're never that much more expensive. You know, if a bunk bed is $4, a private room might be 15. So, yeah. and you can have your privacy in these hostels. But I was actually hostels. looking through your website when I was just taking notes on, on our discussion today. I went to your website and I saw you have the link to, to hostel, um, hostel word, hostelsworld.com. Yeah. And I just, I'm, I'm having an Italy trip coming up. So I just typed in Rome just to see, and I couldn't believe, man, how cheap these places yep. are. Uh, I haven't stayed in too many hospitals, hosp- hospitals. <laughs> <laughs> hospitals. You don't want to stay yeah, in the hospitals. hospitals. They're really and, uh, expensive in the U.S. But I was I was blown away. I mean, fifteen bucks, and then you start looking at pictures, and it's the 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 website, the platform is just as good as any other booking platform, and how they show pictures of the rooms and the accommodations, and give you an idea of what to expect. So. I I'm not saying that I was on the level of oh my god, you know, hostels are murder sites, but yeah. I also didn't that wasn't my immediate um place to look for for accommodations and now i kind of see see the appeal big time yeah i'll give you a little tip as well for for you and anybody else um the 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 way i do it is i go on hostel world and uh, i find the hostel i want once i find the hostel i want i'll then go on to booking.com booking.com also does hostels a lot of people don't know this so what you can then do, once you find the one you want, you can compare reviews from hostelworld.com and booking.com. If you can find a hostel that has good reviews on both sites, that's a great hostel mm. and you should stay there. That's a, that's a fancy form of corroboration. Yeah. Yeah. It sure, yeah. And it, it just, I'm telling you, like the hostel, the great thing about hostels are as well is uh, just about, not all of them, but a good majority of hostels have day trips as well. And those day trips are going to be cheaper than if you take TripAdvisor or something like that. You go into a new place like Italy, say you go into Rome, I guarantee you stay at a hostel. That hostel is going to be offering day trips for very cheap prices that you would never get anywhere else. Hmm. Yeah. Now, are hostels family friendly? Absolutely. Um, and, they, and they'll also say, um, so hostels, so there are, there are hostels. Um, uh, I just did a blog on this one. Um, there's hostels in Budapest. Budapest, Hungary is the most, is the, is the, is the biggest party city in Europe, in my opinion. Um, and the hostels show it. There are hostels that literally say, this is a party hostel. Do not stay here. If you're not ready to get drunk, you know what I'm saying? Like (laughs) this is what they say. And you can read the reviews and you know, this, then there are other ones that are 100% family friendly and have you know, a daycare in some, some of them. Yeah, no, like, uh, especially I saw in Ireland. In Ireland, when I was in Dublin, one of the hostels I left, there was full families uh, sleeping in the bunk bedrooms. Some hostels yeah. have different rules that if you're in a family, you have to have a room and you can't be in bunk beds. All, but on the hostel world, it'll say all this on the page. So you read them and you'll figure it out. There are certain ones, not a lot, but there are some hostels that are 35 and under. Okay. Which means they're probably a party hostel. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. All right. Well, 
we're we're coming close to the end here, but I want to hear some specific stories that you've had, some of your most meaningful experiences throughout your trips over the last three years. Uh, let me see. Okay. The number one, I probably, I've had a lot of amazing experiences, but one of the best was um, I was in Johannesburg, South Africa. And uh, Johannesburg, South Africa. Ooh, that's an interesting city. The Uber drivers don't stop at red lights. They don't stop at stop signs. It is rather dangerous for the most part. However, there's this little, I was called Soweto. And I went out there and I worked with some of the children for a few days. And I had pictures on the Instagram, on the website and stuff like that. It was one of the most amazing experiences. You have these children that are just so happy for your time. And I feel like that's something that we, um, a lot of first world countries especially, can kind of lose sometimes. And you don't realize like how amazingly lucky we are. And I'm not here to say stop being a pain in the butt. However, sometimes it's just cool to think about it and be like, wow, we really are. We're lucky to be born where we are. And these children were just, I would wake up and literally there'd be three of them looking at me. And <laughs> it was so funny. Like the, uh, the, the late, the, the sweet, um, the sweet mother that was uh, watching it all. And when I say children, I'm talking about there was, there's like 99 of them, if not a hundred. I think they always try to keep it under a hundred for some reason, but like um, the kids have to be kind of like chosen to be in this specific uh, schooling that it was, and they could only take a hundred, I think. But um, the, the mom that was, uh, that runs it, she was always asking me like, are you, you sure you're not like weirded out that the kids are always looking at me? Like they were really fascinated by tattoos. Uh. And it was just kind of like, no, I don't mind at all. This is amazing. They're, and they were never, yeah, they were just sweet, innocent kids. Inquisitive, and, yeah. Yeah. And for me, like doing push-ups and stuff, they would go and just start doing push-ups with me. And I have videos of that as well. It was just, <laughs> it was an amazing experience to, uh, to be a part of. And uh, I mean, that kind of goes into, you know, the whole wholesome side. So then like maybe another story on the other side would be uh, shark diving in, down in uh, Cape Town a totally different experience of like just wild craziness and scared out your mind. And it's funny, like been to Afghanistan, been to been in the war settings and all that stuff. There is nothing scarier than watching a shark come up on that cage, knowing that at any moment, <laughs> you know, we watch the movies and you're like, please don't fall cage. Please don't fall cage. Uh, <laughs> and Wow. It is as scary as you would think when a great white shark, is literally trying to get trying to like nibble in that cage. It is super scary. Uh, I couldn't imagine, dude. Oh, I, I've done it with Galapagos sharks, which yeah. they didn't really pay any attention to me at all. It was it was fascinating to be in the water with sharks. And I mean, there must have been over fifty of them just swimming around in circles around the boat. I could not imagine being in the water with a great white. It's something that I hope to do one day. Yeah, and it's 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 just wild because like you know they will. Th they're antagonizing them to get to you. And it's just kind of like, if anything bad happened, it's kind of your own fault because you paid for this. And <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, but like, you don't think about any of this until you're in the water and you're like, and the thing is, is the water is constantly hitting with the, like uh, hitting the boat. So you're always grabbing the front of the cage because it's just natural, but that's where the shark is. <laughs> you're like, oh, it's, uh, you know, and just going through Africa and working on, you know, working with the elephants and seeing the hippos and stuff like that. Ah, oh, man, I don't think there's any creature <coughs> that I've become more fond of than elephants. 
throughout my traveling. And, you know, you could see uh, Thai, Thailand elephants and, you know, elephants in South Africa are totally different, but they're just such amazing creatures. And I'd say as traveling, I've become a much bigger fan of working with animals than I ever thought I'd be, for sure. You should reach out to... Um the woman who does the elephant project, we had her on around May of last year and mm -hmm. she basically works on freeing elephants from enclosures and moving them into sanctuaries and basically trying to stop the riding of elephants and the mistreatment. Absolutely. And she has partners literally all across the world that put move elephants from like zoos and circuses into these yeah. sanctuaries. Yeah, she really opened up our our eyes to what actually occurs with some of these elephants in in it's more Southeast Asia, I think, than anywhere else. Yeah, where they have that that riding industry. <clears throat> yeah, really sad stuff. Did well, you know it, that there's a, an elephant sanctuary in Tennessee? No, I didn't know that actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like for to be honest, for the last three years, I definitely haven't been in the U.S. that long. This is like the longest stint I've been in the U.S. in a long time, and I mean, I miss it somewhat for some things, but. Then other things, it's hard. Once you've been traveling for so long, it's hard to, uh, you know, you get bored. You're you're so ready to go as soon as you're back. Do you still consider America home or American culture home, or do you now have you shifted to where you kind of feel like you're just a member of the planet itself? Uh, I still Bermuda is my home by far, and I want to retire in Bermuda eventually. The problem is Bermuda, as of 2020. I believe they held the title. They are the still most, uh, the most expensive country to live in in the world. I believe they took it from uh, somewhere over in the middle, uh, maybe the Emirates area or Switzerland. But I believe Bermuda still is the most expensive country in the world to live in. And for that reason, I can't quite live there just yet. <laughs> so, but I mean, I would like to eventually be back there. But no, absolutely. I, I consider myself still an American at heart. Because I still come back here. If I have a problem, I'm coming back to America. If I get hurt, I'm coming back to America. But I do think that one of the uh, one of the things that should always be noted is that once you become a traveler and you start really experiencing traveling, you're no longer a, a you're no longer a part of that country. You're a part of a new a new clique, a new clique, a new formation. Americans who travel are not the same as every other American and they shouldn't be stereotyped as such. Once you went out there and you started traveling, you're a different person. And right. I think everybody should always like kind of remember that, that just because you see someone abroad, don't base. I mean, this, the, this happens the most with two countries in particular, America, France, those two countries, that's the two that have the biggest stereotypes probably mm, as it, when, yeah. it, when it comes to traveling. And it's just not true. I have, I've met plenty of ridiculously horrible travelers from America, and I've met some amazing travelers from America. Same way with France, same way with China, same way with everywhere. There are just bad travelers, and they're good travelers. Yeah. And that's the way people should always be looked at. All right. All right. So, so before we end up closing, I want you to tell us about your book that you, before we got on the show, we're working very hard on. And, uh, and uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, time. It's um it's called 101 Travel Tips and Tricks, and I just put it out on Amazon. Uh, it's basically 101 uh you know different tips that I've found along the way that have made me a better traveler. Some tricks and tips will uh, save you money. Some are gonna 
you know, save you time. And the most important, some are going to save you stress because there's nothing like stressing when you're on vacation or traveling. You should never be stressing when you're supposed to be enjoying your time. And there are little tips and tricks in there that like, you're not going to think about, but I'm telling you, they will help you so much from a few examples would be, you know, how to get certain snacks through airport security, how to not pay baggage going through certain airport security and uh, certain airlines. These are things that can, I know a lot of Americans understand this and uh, Europeans from Ryanair, EasyJet, Spirit Airlines. There are certain backpacks that will prevent any of that from happening and there's ways to make your clothing and everything small enough to where you don't have to pay that extra money. So the whole book goes into all these different tips and tricks and it's like I tell people, uh, anyone that's asked about it so far, if you go through the whole book and you don't find a single tip or trick that changed you or that at least you haven't, you didn't know about, I would give you your money back in a heartbeat. I'm not <laughs> even kidding. There's just no way because it's, it's not 101, you know, hopeful, motivational tips. It's a, <laughs> it, these are tips that, and I think that's the biggest difference that I've noticed since writing this book and also kind of just getting learning Amazon and, you know, uh, Smash Mouth and some of the other different um, book publishers, like a lot of these tip books, they're motivational and inspi uh, inspirational tip books, which is amazing. But this is a book that gives you practical tips and how to better your time and how to alleviate stress and how to alleviate money and stuff like that uh, in your, your expenditures. Hmm. And obviously there's a few tips in there that hopefully will give you a little motivation. But for the most part, I'm trying to, I want everyone to travel the world. I, I, don't, I don't want anyone to have that excuse. And we all have a friend that has that excuse. If you ask them, you know, hey, why don't you have a passport yet? Or why haven't you been outside of your state? And that's a big thing here in the US. How many friends can you count that have never left the state they were born in? Right. It's, mm -hmm. it's, Rather, it's, it's a super high number, and it's only because they haven't been motivated yet. And hopefully reading this book will at least, you know, motivate a few people and, you know, maybe change the way they look at it and give them a reason and an idea. Like, a lot of people just need that little bit of motivation, that little bit of, oh, maybe I can do this. You're yeah. telling me I can get a round trip for $300? Maybe I can do this if I, you know, I... I don't do, I don't use cable for two months. Then I yeah. can travel, start traveling. Yeah. Right. Right. Cost is a big one. Yeah. Absolutely. And so do you have any immediate plans to travel? Yes. Uh, so, uh, in May I'll be leaving for Guatemala. Um, Antigua, Guatemala is one of, is my favorite city in all of Central America. I've been to every country there and, uh, uh almost all of South America, but like two, and I've been to, I, when I travel, I try to hit every big city for the most part. Um, now that doesn't mean I hit them all, but I like hitting at least the big cities in certain places in my, sometimes I have limited time, but I'll be going down to Antigua, Guatemala, and uh, I'll be staying with a home family. My uh, Spanish is okay, but I want it to be, I want it to be really fluent. I want to branch my business brand from English to Spanish. Uh, there's just, you know, how many people speak Spanish in the world? A billion at least. Like, you know, there's just, that's a whole nother market of people that I think also want to travel. They also want to be inspired and motivated. So for me, that's my, I think that's my contribution. I should go learn the language perfectly. So then I can open up that as well. Yeah. Sounds awesome. And where can people follow along with you on social media? Um, Bigger's World on Instagram, Bigger's World on YouTube. 
on Twitter, Bigger's World, Pinterest, Bigger's World, and, <laughs> it, and the blog is tiredofworking.com. So, I mean, the, the brand is Bigger's World, but the overall, like, uh, tired of working is kind of the concept I'm going behind because who's not tired of working these days? Everybody wants know. to travel and <laughs> it's time, it's time to, uh, if you get off your butt and you do the research, you can find a way. I know yeah. it's hard and it's not easy, but I do think that anybody can at least travel somewhere, maybe not constantly, but at least somewhere and experience the things that we've all gotten the chance to experience meeting these different people and being, uh, you know, actively involved in these different cultures. Yeah. And it's not working if you enjoy it. Yeah. It's definitely not working. And, uh, you know, like I said, every, there's one thing, if you're, the one thing I'd like to get across the most is listening to the blogs on how to get rich quick or how to, how to, how to, uh, you know, make a website in 22 hours. Got that's one, that's, that, that's one way. But the other way is going to take hard work. You're going to have to work your butt off. You're going to have to network. You're going to have to do these things. So don't get into anything with the idea that it's going to come fast. Because I can tell you from experience with the YouTube over the last five, six weeks, it is not easy. And it doesn't matter how many people you have on one social media. It does not transition to all social media. Every single time you start a social media, you got to start over. And you guys know this from starting the podcast and whatnot. Every person you get should be a treasure for you because that's a new person that is going to be interested in what you're learning or what you're giving out. Yep. Yeah. Hey man, <clears throat> thank you for, thank you for coming on, man. We really appreciate it. Glad yeah, to, no uh, we know this is your first podcast ever. So maybe, yeah. maybe podcasting is in your future too. <laughs> it would be, it'd be another endeavor for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey man, really appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate being on and thank you guys for, uh, I don't even know how we actually found each other. I think it was just a random meet on Instagram. Um, Dude, yeah. I think it was just a very natural, uh, our, our profiles crisscrossed somehow. Yeah. I really don't remember how, but I started checking out your page and, and liked what I saw. And, well, yeah. and that's, the, that's definitely the key in all social media and all that stuff is networking. And, yeah. and we all have each other. A lot of people don't understand. They, it's not a competition here. You know, it's like uh, if you listen to Joe Rogan and he talks about comics, it's no longer a competition. We're all trying to do the same thing. And there is room for all of us. I assure you, there is room for all of us to give advice and to uh, share our own own experiences with everybody in the traveling community. For sure. The rising tide lifts all ships. There you go. Absolutely. There you go. Hey, man, uh, really appreciate your time today. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate you guys for having me. I really, really had a great time, you know, uh, trying a new avenue for sure. So Joshua has a new book on Amazon called Start Your Journey, 101 Travel Tips and Tricks. It's free if you have the subscription with Amazon Kindle already. Um, and I highly recommend it. I went through it and it broke down some of the things that are seemingly obvious, but just added a little bit of detail to, and then things that you never would have thought ha- uh, thought of. It's I, I, The way I kind of look at the book is sort of like a checklist that I can sort of run through as I'm planning my travel, but then go back to once I think I'm all done to make sure that I've, I, I've, I've got everything I need. So I highly recommend it. Yeah. And some of the things in there, like some of the obvious things that Bob thinks are obvious were not obvious to me, but some things that I thought were obvious 
were not obvious to Bob. Right. It, it it's well rounded and and it's worth the money. I mean, yeah, it's only like five fifty. Yeah, it's it's well worth the investment for you um, to plan your trip because your trip is a significant investment. So just just check it out. Yeah. I mean, 550 to make your life significantly easier on your next trip sounds easy to me. Come on. Yeah. So the trivia question for Joshua is simply, what is Joshua's favorite city? Boom. And he did mention it. I think he only mentioned it once, though. But it was it was an interesting choice, one that mm-hmm. I have not heard before. Right. So if you know it, shoot us an email at thetravelersblueprint at gmail.com. You can also shoot us a direct message on any of the social media platforms. Feel free to give us a rating on the podcasting platform that you listen to and follow us on social media. Reach out to us if you want to talk. And thank you for listening. Tune in next week.